opinions expressed on ACB Media are those of the respective program contributors and do not necessarily reflect the views held by the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Well, hello, everyone. My name is Clark Rockfall. I'm ACB's Director of Advocacy and Governmental Affairs. And as you are all aware, uh, we're here to have a conversation with our friends and colleagues from Uber. Um, so as many of you know, ride shares are a transformational technology and service, especially for people who are blind and low vision. And that's why all of our advocates get very passionate when something that can be so transformational uh, does not work for us due to, uh, I'd say, some, some artificial barriers that can get in the way. It's almost like trying to lick ice cream through the glass window, you know, so close and yet so far. Uh, but you all didn't come here to listen to me talk. So I'm going to introduce our, our guests and I will get out of the way and let them share. Once, they're share. once they've shared what Uber is working on, then we will have time for questions and comments and sharing from all of you in this room, as well as folks on Zoom. Um, I know folks have heard of Christmas in July. This is not Festivus in July. This, this is not airing of grievances. We still have our ACB core values, as they say in the community, welcoming, safe, and respectful. Um, and it being the, the 4th of July, I'm wearing my Team USA hockey jersey. So if there needs to be some enforcing to remind folks of our code of conduct and our five core values, that's what I'm here for. But at this point, I'd like to turn it over to Brianna Gilmore and Chris Yoon from Uber. So please give them a big welcome and a round of applause for joining us at the convention this year. Awesome. Thank you, uh, Clark, for the introduction. And hi, everybody. Um, really great to be here. And thank you, um, ACB, again, for um, hosting us. Um, we're really excited to chat with you. I'm sure there's lots of uh, feedback and questions from everyone, so we'll have plenty of time to do that. Um, my name is Chris. I'm a product manager on the product equity team. Um, and I'll quickly pass it to Brianna to, to do a quick intro. Hi, everyone. I'm Brianna. Really nice to meet you. I think we've already gotten like two rounds of applause, which is a lot more than we could have ever hoped coming here from Uber. So I feel delighted. I'm just thrilled. Um, it's really with so much humility that Chris and I are here today. And we're just really excited to be with you, to learn from you, to be in conversation with you, and just to introduce ourselves. Um, Chris and I have both been at Uber for about a year. I started um, last May. I've been a disability advocate um, for about a decade. Uh, my background is actually in urban planning. So it's kind of fun that I get to work with maps again. But I I've worked as a disability policymaker and an advocate, particularly in the psychiatric survivor community. And my other lived experiences are in the cognitive disability and chronic illness communities. So I haven't, my background really isn't in advocacy um, with uh, folks in the physical disability community or blind and low vision community, except where that, those have like intersected in my background in the past. So um, that's what I've been bringing to my role. And I've done like a lot of different 
policy and then peer run advocacy and communications uh, work in the past and was just really excited when this job came up because I really wanted to put my energy towards cross-disability work um, in the disciplines that I cared about. So, um, so that's where I'm coming from. I'm going to talk after um, Chris shares with you a little bit more about his team and what he works on. So I'll pass it to him and then you'll hear from me later. Awesome. Thanks, Brianna. Um, yeah, so I wanted to kind of start off this uh, session by telling you a little bit more about the product equity team, what my role is at Uber and how we sort of operate within the company. Um, and then I'll pass it back to Brianna. We'll talk a little bit about some of the work that we've already been doing um, in the service animal um, space particularly. And we're hoping we'll kind of talk at you for about 15 minutes or so and then leave the rest of the time for questions, feedback, um, just a chance for us to engage with the community. And I really hope that this um, will be first of many sessions that we have with folks um, because you know we really wanna make sure that we are building trust again with the community and, 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 and working with the community to build the right solutions to make sure um, that we can actually lick the ice cream and not just through the window. So um, with that, um, again, so my name is Chris. Uh, I've been, uh, as Brianna mentioned, uh, at Uber for about a year. Before then I was, a product manager at Microsoft working on some of the accessibility work for our voice um, uh, for uh, products as well. And I joined the team, uh, and this is a very uh, new team that was created called the product equity team a, a little over a year ago to address some of the um, uh, inequitable challenges on the platform. Um, and so our team focus is not only on disability access, but um, equity work for gender equity, um, um, LGBTQIA plus equity and racial equity as well. Um, and we have a full uh, team, including like product managers, designers, researchers, and engineers. And our, our goal is to really help cultivate a more um, uh, building kind of inclusive experiences within the company by leverage, helping um, other teams to start prioritizing experiences um, for uh, you know, communities that have been historically and systematically excluded. And so um, one of the biggest uh, projects that our team and I myself is working on right now is of course, figuring out how to make sure that service animal owners like myself and you guys aren't you know, uh, being denied on the platform. It's been an issue for Uber for a long time now. And um, I'm really excited to be uh, in the team to kind of help lead, lead hopefully the change for the better. Um, there's still a lot of work that we need to be doing. And this, I'm really hoping that, you know, we want to start collaborating with the community, you know, at, at an earlier stage to get your feedback and input and make sure that we're building with the community, right? And, and we're building solutions that really work for, for everybody. Um, and just like on a little, on a personal note, so I am blind and I'm a service animal user myself. I had got my first guide doc from GDB a couple of years ago. Um, thanks, Claire. I serve on the alumni board with Claire, Deb, and Pete, um, and I just joined also the board of directors for San Francisco Lighthouse for the Blind. So um, as I think some of you uh, may be skeptical as like, you know, me being the token blind guy that Uber sends out to these things, um, I, I, I really hope that I'm not uh, one of that, you know, and I, I really am bringing my personal experience to try to make the change for the better. Obviously, it's going to be you know, a, a long-term work, and I'm really excited to continue pushing from the inside to make sure that change is happening. And, um, you know, I'm always, you know, really excited to be in places like this to, to connect with folks and kind of get, get your feedback so I can bring it back to our internal team to make sure that the right changes are happening. Um, and so with that, 
I'll pass it to Brianna. Thank you. Great. Thanks, Chris. Can I just do um, a quick comprehension check? If there's anybody in the room who would like us to slow down, could you raise your hand? Okay, we'll slow down a little bit. Thank you for that. I appreciate that. And if there's anybody who's having difficulty understanding us or hearing us, could you raise your hand? Okay, great. So I'm going to try to speak up. I'm particularly self-conscious because the wildfire smoke has really affected my voice. This is not what I sound like. So, I, <laughs> so I'm going to try to be slow and clear. Um, is that better? Okay, thank you. Now I feel like I'm screaming at you, but I, I'll really try. <laughs> okay, thank you so much. Oh, exactly, exactly. Thank you for your patience. Um, so when Chris and I joined, and I was so excited that there was somebody dedicated um, to taking on the service animal project, I was looking at a range of issues related to accessibility. So just so you understand a little bit about my role and how we've taken on kind of the project work of service animal in the context of both of our roles. So Chris works on the product side, which is basically, you know, one kind of the one type of experience in the app, right? When you interact with your, um, your device to order an Uber and then everything that happens in the device after that. Um, and then of course, another part of the experience is when you're in a vehicle um, or certainly you know, dealing with a courier um, experientially. And then when, there's, when things go wrong and there's sort of a, a feedback issue. Um, and so every piece of that issue um, we're trying to look at from the internal policy side and then also the external policy side um, with support from my role. So I work with uh, regulators and I work with our local policy teams and our federal policy teams to try to move on legislation that is good for Uber and good for the disability community. So that's a big part of my role. And then I try to support internal teams cross-functionally, like folks who work with our drivers, folks who work with our riders, in figuring out how our policies either support the user experience or potentially contribute to discrimination or unfairness. Um, and so that was the kind of the lens that I had to look at through this experience. And when I came on, I think it was maybe a week before the NFB conference last year, at which I think you all know Uber was condemned. And so our first, our first role was to really look at that resolution that was passed and look at the major points within the resolution and start talking to advocates and community members about those points in particular. So Chris and I started meeting um, with experts in the community, um, certainly alongside some of your colleagues, to figure out what's happening um, in the, the breakdown of the product when a ride is called um, that leads to negative experiences. What happens to those interactions with drivers um, upon a car first arriving, potentially driving off? If it's a successful ride, what happens in the breakdown of communication potentially? Where is there discrimination happening even in a successful ride? Um, and then we wanted to know more about the details about education of earners, which was proposed in the NFB solution, um, and then uh, feedback mechanisms. So when a trip is denied, how can you access uh, appropriate levels of support in the app and by phone? So those were kind of the first issues that we started looking at. 
And then at the same time, Chris's team and these really fantastic user researchers on his team started meeting with groups of riders and drivers to try to figure out in kind of focus groups and long form interviews, what's really happening in the details. What does this feel like? What does it look like when it happens on the driver's side? Where are drivers confused about our policy? Um, what concerns do they have regarding service animals? You know, what, what extra clarity do they need um, from Uber? What types of support are they looking for? And then in October, we started convening a working group of experts to tackle some of the, the core issues that um, we were hearing. So for eight months, we've been meeting with experts from the community to try to understand everything from how can communication be improved with earners when it breaks down, with drivers when it breaks down, what type of personalization um, might people in the community want in the app? Because we knew that anecdotally people would uh, text drivers ahead of time and say, by the way, I have a service animal. Um, and you know, just so you know, I, this is what I'm wearing and what we look like when you arrive. And then there are other community members who don't want to do that at all. Um, and so we wanted to know, well, if we were going to add a level of personalization in the app to make that more efficient, how would that happen? And then we wanted to know about experiences when a trip is denied and you do report it through the app and how we can make um, that more efficient. And then we wanted to tackle that issue of driver education based on the information that we are hearing from drivers, but also people in the community um, about uh, the, the, the main things that keep coming up. What are the things that are, you're, you keep experiencing that keep happening that we can tackle in education? And so for Chris and I, our role has largely been as translators that, you know, we kind of take information from experts and from community members and from the experiences that we hear about in the community. And then we bring it back to our internal teams. And then our internal teams get together and talk about, uh, you know, possible solutions and we dig into the data and then we come back and we translate that back to experts. And then we do that back and forth. And I think that this is kind of the most helpful hopeful stage for us after doing this for about eight or nine months, but it also is, um, can potentially be the most painful stage in that we've had some commitments made. We've had fantastic progress internally. We still have a lot of work to be done and there's still so much frustration and there's still so many painful trip denials and so many times where community members don't feel listened to and heard because, um, bless you, um, because it persists that there's not a lot of transparency coming from Uber about what we've done and what we've committed to. So maybe to circle back to Chris's point, um, you know, it's, it's interesting to come to a conference and to try to continue to build this relationship. And we do that with a lot of humility. And also we do that with really a commitment and in the investment moving forward. And to say that, like, we know that things aren't perfect. We know that we haven't gotten it right. And, um, you know, Chris and I can work as hard as we can every day. And it still doesn't mean that everything's going to be right tomorrow, but we're going to be here and continuing to work. And we're really proud that we have internal teams and colleagues who are really committed to this work also. And that we do know, we do, we do know that we have a long way to come in our commitments, but Chris and I are, are very confident that um, the folks that we get to work with every day are really committed to finding solutions to these issues. 
Um, so yeah, so maybe I'll just uh, talk a couple about a couple of those commitments that we've made so far. One thing that we just always want to clarify, because I think that sometimes there is some confusion still, is that it, it is and always has been Uber's policy to deactivate any driver from the platform who commits discrimination. So anytime a trip is denied, there's a thorough investigation. And if it's found that a driver has knowingly denied a ride to a person with a disability and a person with a disability uh, who uses a service animal, that driver is permanently removed from being able to access the Uber platform and to earn money on it. So we are relieved to be able to say that. Um, and I know that there continues to be some confusion about it. We've even had to clean up some of our messaging, some of our standard messaging during investigations has led folks to believe that drivers were educated about our policy um, when in fact they were deactivated, <laughs> but we don't share deactivation information. And so we just kept saying that the drivers were educated when in fact many of them were deactivated. So there's just been a lot of confusion, I think, about that and our upholding of the policy. Um, we've been reminding drivers of their pol of the, our policy in new ways. So starting a few months ago, now every driver in the U.S. Um, has seen what we call a full screen takeover of our service animal policy. So it's a, it's a pop-up with these new illustrations of service dogs and what they look like with a reminder about the policy, about the two questions that drivers are allowed to ask service animal owners, and then um, our expectations um, and the legal expectations um, that uh, are placed on, on drivers on the Uber platform um, before they're allowed to uh, continue to, to drive. Um, we've also, we're also really excited that we've committed internally to a public transparency of metrics um, at the latest by um, early 2025. And so we're working with experts and then working with our internal teams to try to figure out what that would look like. Because we kept hearing that there's really dissatisfaction with not knowing about when a driver has been deactivated for a trip denial. And we really want to uphold all of our users' privacy because there's certainly great risk that, that comes with sharing even personal details about whether a person is allowed to still earn on Uber. But we do know that that's really frustrating. And so we want to find a way that we can demonstrate accountability to the community by being transparent. And so we're going to work over the next year to try to figure out how to do that, to put together a report um, that demonstrates our accountability to upholding our policy. Um, but I, you know, that's not the end. I, we're working continuously on the issue of education and the range of education possible for our drivers up to and potentially including mandatory education on um, how to interact with um, riders who have service animals and um, different facets of uh, kind of disability knowledge. And so we're really looking forward to putting together lots of different options for education for our drivers, because a lot of them are really excited and interested in that level of support. And we're also moving forward in um, some testing of personalization within the app so that folks who do want to identify as service animal owners and have a way to communicate that to drivers, um, we're going to examine ways that uh, that we can do that. And Chris and his team have been working 
quite tirelessly on trying to design an effective method for that. So um, I know that that was a lot of details and I, I'm sure that Chris might want to add more before we get into questions, but I just I wanna reiterate that um, you know, this is this is sort of um, an early midpoint for us where we're so excited about the engagement of experts with us and to continue to build trust that we have a, a small handful of commitments that um, I think that internally teams are really proud of, but that the work over the next year is going to be moving forward some of these larger, more integrated product solutions. And then hearing from all of you and learning from all of you, especially when things you when you might notice that things have gotten better and how and why you think they've gotten better. And when things um, get worse <laughs> or when things continue to, to be bad or you have poor experiences, we want to know that as well. Um, so I'll pass it to Chris now, but just to say that I'm really excited to learn more from you all today and then stay in communication as we uh, try to continue to build on this work. Thanks, Brianna. Um, I just want to add a couple like last things before opening up to questions and feedback. Um, as Brianna said earlier, I think one of our main jobs within the company is, you know, about being that translator and being the, you know, voice that advocates for um, our work. And, you know, recently we've gotten a lot of traction internally, even up to our CEO level, where we uh, a, a, month, a few months ago had a, a presentation of some of the challenges and um, strategies that we want to be pursuing in this space and gotten, you know, approvals and, and alignment um, at the executive leadership level, which is which we're really excited about. So internally, I think the team is very excited on working on this issue. Um, we have uh, one of the, uh, the VPs, the vice presidents that actually funded our team um, explicitly like wanted us to, to solve for this, uh, for, for this issue. So um, internally, I think we have a lot of momentum and we're really excited um, to continue building on, you know, the work that we, we've done and, and the work that's coming down the pipeline, including some of the personalization work that Brianna talked about, as well as um, improving our, our education support as well. Um, so uh, like Brianna said, it's, it's, it's a work in progress, but I am hopeful. And um, the more, you know, feedback we get, the better. And um, always, am, you know, I think it's great to be connected with the community. And, and with that, uh, one last kind of thing I wanted to share is we are, we've created a new um, email address that you can send us um, any feedback that, uh, that you have that may come up um, in the future or that you may already have. And um, for, for folks in the room, the uh, email address is serviceanimals-group at uber.com. Um, if you also want to meet us afterwards, we can also give you those um, email addresses again, but that'll, yes, it's serviceanimals all one word, all lowercase, dash group, G-R-O-U-P, at uber.com. And so Brianna and I will be um, monitoring uh, that email address, um, which will help us kind of triage all of the feedback that, that, um, that will come in. And so um, please uh, send us your thoughts um, and, and feedback to that, uh, to that email address. Just two quick points about that, Chris. Import, you'll, if anyone emails the group, you'll get an away message and it does clarify if you're going to submit a trip denial, that's not a new way to do it. So we would still do it through the app or the phone number support line that we can talk about. The most important thing for us is that we continue to have data about issues that users face. And so 
Chris and I um, often get inbounds to our personal email addresses, but we realized that this was really the best way for us to collect information and share it across teams. So if you have suggestions, if you have experiences that you want to relay, please do submit them through the email because that's the way for our teams and people above us to recognize how significant the issue is in our community. So use it. <laughs> Thank you. All right, I think should be open it up for questions, feedback, suggestions. Yeah. Um, so folks, we will alternate, we'll probably try taking two from the room and, and then two from Zoom um, and go back and forth like that uh, with the remainder of the time that we have. Uh, it is 427 Central Time. so. Our hosts have left a lot of time to hear from you all, uh, which is a good thing. So if we could uh, just queue up folks on the Zoom, but we'll take two hands in the room first, and we'll try to do a good job of spreading around the room as well. Yeah, we've got plenty to talk about. Should I? <laughs> okay, so somebody's had their hand up for quite a while. So I'm going to go over uh, here first. And then I saw a second hand, but we've got like maybe nine questions. So maybe we'll start with two. And then so, um, Miss, I'm going to come to you second, and I will be right there. But the first person who had their hand up is, is it Lori? Yeah. Hi, nice to meet you. Hi, um, I'm Lori Scharf. I'm actually asking this question on behalf of an acquaintance that's not able to be here. He was denied service um, by a driver and it was his understanding that the driver was deactivated. Unfortunately, he was able to confirm that when he began receiving harassing phone calls from the driver. What does Uber do to protect the consumer? Thank you. And this was in March of this year. Thank you. Chris, have you ever, have you heard that issue before? No, but um, that's very concerning. And yeah, if you can connect uh, your acquaintance to us, we would definitely would love to follow up. And that's one of the reasons why um, I think, as Brianna mentioned, we take privacy very seriously and we try not to share any information, you know, between rider and driver when instances like this happen. So um, yeah, we'll definitely love to learn more and see like how the driver got the, the rider information, et cetera. So um, yeah, we'll, we'll definitely follow up, but that's very concerning. Yeah, that's devastating. We've yeah. never heard that before. I, I don't know. So just so you know, the um, drivers can't actually see contact information. And so even when you have a text go through um, the app, they won't be able to see or save contact information. And so the fact that they were able to get it or save it somehow, um, we, we definitely want to figure out how that happened. So, but of course, respecting the confidentiality of your friend. And so if they're willing to communicate with us, you know, of course, just, just ask them and, um, we'll look into that, um, trip information. Thank you, Lori. Okay. So I'm going to go to, it's Penelope. That's my niece's name. <laughs> I don't know how I became Penelope on my name tag, but I'm Penny. Um, I'm a member of Guide Dog Users, and uh, many of us have had so many issues with Uber. I just, uh, and I just had two on Sunday, and I know everyone has personal stories, but I want to know what you should do when you're in the cat, when the Uber car with a driver, and he will not start the engine, 
and will not take your dog. And you explain that he could lose his place on the platform. And he says, I never heard that before. And there is no way for him to take you. And we got a second driver. We were visiting our granddaughter who we had not seen since the beginning of the pandemic. So it's a long time and it was important. And the second driver, uh, we're new in the area. We live in Maryland and this is Chicago. And we had no idea where the location was we were going. And we could not explain it to him because we didn't know. And he dropped us off two blocks away. I travel with oxygen and a guide dog. It was pouring rain. It was not a good experience. And he said, I have another fare. I cannot take you any further. So I don't know exactly how people should handle those kinds of situations. Uh, I, I, I want to be polite, but I want service. Thank you so much. Penny, thank you for that. And uh, before we give Brianna and Chris an opportunity to respond, just by applause, how many service dog handlers are in the room today? Thank you. I think it's difficult to offer um, personal advice because everybody you know, has different levels of comfort in terms of confrontation and willingness to um, you know, be firm, like you said, with the driver while being polite, but also making sure that you know, you're in a safe situation. Um, we are, that's one of the things that we're currently also um, ex trying to work out with, you know, our exploring the personalized app um, um, experience and trying to see how can we make sure that we don't have instances like that where drivers refuse to move um, and, you know, it becomes a dangerous situation for both the, the driver and the rider. And so, unfortunately, I don't have the best, um, I guess, a playbook, uh, if you would, for a situation like that. Um, but I would just say, you know, um, one around the driver who who you know refused to 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 start the trip, um, you know, obviously uh, use your own judgment as to how far you want to push the driver. But um, again, um, you know, the best thing I think you can do is remind him of the policy and say, you know, you are required by Uber's policy and the law to you know take service animals, and if you refuse me, then you know, I will report you and, and you will be deactivated from the platform because that's their policy. Um, in terms of the, your, your other experience where the driver dropped you off early, um, I'm not sure what, uh, again, we can, we can definitely follow up with us to, and, and we can look at the trip history to see what exactly happened. But usually drivers are required to um, drop you off at the destination that, that you have set in the app, um, regardless of, you know, uh, even if they have a, a, another ride after after you. And so um, it really should be, you know, um, up to drivers to make sure that they get you to your, your final destination. And I'm sorry that, you know, that wasn't the case for, 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 for your trip. Brianna, is there anything else you want to? No, I just want to emphasize how difficult it is. I mean, I know that gender and age and other capabilities and you know, all have to do with the perception that we have of how safe we are in any given interaction, you know, whether you're traveling with somebody or alone and just how difficult that is to manage in the moment that like, as folks with disabilities, like those are, that's like the constant background work that we have to do is that constant assessment of safety. And so to try to figure that out in the moment with a driver, I, 
we just recognize how taxing that is. And it's, it's, I think maybe the hardest part of our work is translating that internally to like, this is exhausting. That is an exhausting experience. It's not just that it's dangerous or potentially dangerous and there needs to be a better solution, but that you, your whole day was impacted and that stays with you. And so we recognize that and our whole, we just want to acknowledge also that like our whole reason for work is to make all of our lives better and easier and less tiring and less stressful. And so I hate that that happened and we will continue to acknowledge internally that that's not acceptable. Like it's not acceptable that you had to just deal with that. Um, even the idea that your safety could be at risk. And then you still have to, you still have to be having the conversation today in your head with yourself. What did I do? What could I have done? What did I do wrong? What did, that is, none of us should have to be talking to ourselves in our head all day long about that constantly. Okay, I could go on in that forever. I will stop. <laughs> no, that's great. And um, one last thing I think that, um, Brianna, you reminded me was safety is definitely one of the biggest things that we um, that we want to make sure that you know our our riders and drivers feel you know safe on the platform. And actually, as part of our work, we've elevated service denial issues as part of a safety issue. And so we were be we were able to get more support internally. And it also kind of um, changed the way we deal with these incidents as well um, by classifying these as safety incidents as well. And so um, that's something that, that we've been working on um, uh, internally to try to push more visibility and resources um, into this space as well. So I, I agree with Brianna. It's, it's exhausting. I hate, you know, um, dealing with it every day, but, um, you know, hopefully uh, as we continue to build our muscle around this, um, you'll have to do less, uh, you know, Argue, arguing with the drivers um, to to be you know uh, to access the same services um, on Uber. My name is Margie, and um, I have a couple of thoughts. I have been monitoring a few um, Uber fa Facebook um, groups. Um, what I heard you say is that you will deactivate uh, Uber will deactivate a driver who refuses to take a dog. We will always have the issue. And I can guarantee you that all of us that are blind are informing the driver it's a guide dog. Um, what I'm seeing on Facebook is there's ways to get back on the platform. And I don't know what Uber has to do with it, but if you monitor any of the Facebook groups, drivers are being deactivated for various reasons. They pay this one person X number of dollars and they get back on. I would like you to address that, please. Thank you. Thank you, Margie. Um, I'm glad you said that last anecdote about paying people to get back on because yes, there are ways now to get back on the platform as a deactivated driver. Um, paying anybody is definitely not one of them. And so I, I want to learn more about that and see who's heard that or learned that from the forums. Um, there is some pretty wild information out there, but I assure you that there's no way to purchase a way to get back onto the platform as a deactivated driver. Um, we do deactivate, I, I mean, globally, I don't know if the number is in the hundreds of thousands or just in the tens of thousands of drivers from the app. Um, and certainly a great number for accessibility um, uh, related investigations that result in a deactivation. We do now just in the past year have a process by which drivers can apply for um, their deactivation status to be investigated and potentially removed. 
And I think at this point, we have reactivated. I do not know the number. I believe that it is below 1% of drivers who have been deactivated. Um, I've been specifically working with a team actually who have been very concerned about rates of deactivation of drivers who are deaf and drivers with cognitive disabilities who have been investigated for impaired driving or suspected drunk driving, for example, because a rider was unable to communicate with them. So our our driver operations and, and policy team wanted to make sure that in the case of an unfair deactivation, there is a method. Um, Chris and I have not yet learned about a single driver who has been reactivated, who was deactivated for a service animal issue. We do know, however, that on the forums during the investigation process, some information is shared on forums um, between drivers of like, we'll just say this if you're investigated for a service animal denial. And there's information from folks about how to try to get out of it. I don't know that we've been able to kind of play the whack-a-mole of like trying to change our policy based on what drivers um, you know, think that they can say or can't say. Um, but I think in most cases, it's drivers who are hy- hypothesizing on what got them out of a deactivation when in fact it might've been inconclusive, a lack of information, inability to get in touch with a rider, um, you know, and something like that. So, um, so definitely there's no, there's no pay to play, um, on, on Uber, but yes, there is now a a method to be reactivated. Do we want to take one other zoom question before going back to the room? Deborah, you are next. Hello. It seems to me that um, many drivers who are leery of service animals are people whose first language is not English. Have you considered doing some training videos that uh, are in the native speakers, the you know the native language of some of your drivers that describe what these service animals do and how they help the customer so that you're giving them sort of a positive, warm, fuzzy feeling about the service animals rather than just saying it's the law, you have to take them. And I'm back on mute. Yeah, that's a great feedback. And that's actually something that we are, um, that we are working with our design team and our research team on developing education in, in multiple languages to make sure that exactly like you said, you know, people, regardless of your language and your culture and your background really understands, um, you know, the, the value importance of service animals. Um, so it's definitely, we're, we're, we're looking into that. One of the challenges I think we have um, on the technical side is that, um, you know, we can only infer what languages driver speaks by the the um, the language that they set as their preferred language on their uh, phone device. And we did during our research, we did find that a majority of drivers, at least in the U.S., have set their their um, language set to English, even though English may not be their you know um, preferred or even first language. So um, we're working with you know the driver community, the driver teams, and and the education teams internally to see how best we can. Um, serve these uh, these drivers with with the different um, language content. So make to make sure that, like you said, um, you know drivers are able to understand and comprehend all of the the messaging, um, so that it's 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 less of a forceful thing. And, and hopefully we can you know change their hearts and minds around um, service animals. 
Yes, um, my question is, I, when someone signs up for Uber, um, I'm sure they have to sign something. Do they go through an orientation? Or is there just like a brief beating that everyone's required to go through? Um, I also wanted to mention that I did file a complaint. Um, I was a trader, make a long story short. It's a Trader Joe's, called Uber, the car showed up. There was a Trader Joe's employee waiting with me. Uber, Uber driver saw the dog, turned around and left. And so I called the number that, uh, that you guys have now for complaints and um, someone was uh, investigating it. And then I got an email and um, I'll spare you reading the email. But basically what it said was that the, um, it's been investigated. The driver uh, was told that he couldn't do this again. He got a warning and I'm sorry that it, that it happened basically. So I, is it, is it, that they get fired on the first offense or or is it that they do get a warning? Oh, that's a great question. So I'll answer both. So any driver onto the platform does go through an onboarding process where they receive lots and lots of policy information that they have to um, agree to before being onboarded. And then they go through kind of this rolling onboarding because of course it's very difficult to take in all of the information, um, that you, that a driver needs all at once. And so it's sort of triaged. So they receive sort of the most important policy information upfront, and then they receive reminders and then ongoing information. And so our policy agreement for service animals is, given in that first onboarding process before a driver gets onto the platform. And then within the first 30 days or a certain number of uh, rides, kind of whichever comes first, they're given um, a reminder of their service animal obligations. Um, and that's sort of the process. The second question you had, that is very concerning in many different ways. And so maybe we can follow up later because if we, even if it was a long time ago, if we can find the trip information, we want to know why that was communicated by the agent. So it is some, it is absolutely possible if there's not conclusive evidence from an investigation that the driver wouldn't be deactivated on the first suspected incident of a trip refusal for a service animal owner. So it does depend on the level of information that um, that our investigations team is able to collect. But usually when it's inconclusive, they would come back to you and ask for more information. So perhaps we can connect afterwards and dig into what happened in the account with the agent. Um, we all, We are continuously training agents to be able to use our policy um, you know, to the great, to the highest degree of efficacy. And so we are, we have a quality assurance project where we work with kind of like an internal auditing team to make sure that's happening. And now that we've switched the, um, investigation process to our safety team, that's happening in a more concerted way with a person that we're in touch with regularly. So we hope that that happens less and less um, as those folks internally become more involved in that quality assurance project. But anytime something like that happens, it's so strange and egregious. We definitely want to learn more. This is Clark, Brianna and, yeah. and Chris, a follow-on question to that. Um, so something we've heard about at, at ACB and many folks have experienced similar to the, this gentleman's instance is where a driver does a drive-by 
doesn't deny the ride, but does a drive-by and then cancels the ride because right. of the appearance of the service animal. Mm -hmm. How does that play into the investigation and being able to have enough proof or verification that the service animal is why the ride was canceled? Right. So there's a few different um, things about that that maybe I want to speak to that I know are common points of confusion. Um, it's and I'm sure it's incredibly frustrating to have that happen and then to be forced yourself to cancel the ride rather than have the driver deny it. So maybe they drive past and they cancel the ride, but maybe you have to do it. And either way, we know that that um, ride did not, that canceled ride is currently not showing up in your trip history. So that's something that our engineering teams are working on. And honestly, it might even be implemented at this point. I think like within no, it's, the week. It's supposed to ship this week. So hopefully by the end of the week, you'll be able to see canceled trips in, as, as part of your trip history. Yeah, yeah, fingers crossed, like as soon as possible to be able to see a canceled trip in your trip history. Because anytime you report an investigation, our investigation team knows that it happened and they know which ride you're talking about, but like you don't know that they know and that's not helpful. And then you're worried you're submitting an investigation on the wrong person. So we're hoping to clarify um, that soon. Um, what happens in an investigation is our investigation team looks at all available information. So they might look to see if you texted the driver ahead of time to say that you had a guide dog. They might, um, you know, they, they would know if you had contacted the driver uh, by phone, but the, we also know where the driver was. And so if during an investigation, our investigation team contacts the driver and says, well, I couldn't find them and they weren't standing where they were, where, where they said they were, um, that like the app knows, the app knows where the rider is situated and they know if the driver has passed the rider. And so if there is conclusive evidence that the driver did pass by the rider, we would be able to tell if that were a knowing denial or not. And so sometimes it's that location information, which is of course opaque to you. And for many of you, you might actually not know if your driver has driven past you. Um, but sometimes you're traveling with somebody else who is aware of that. Um, the investigation team is able to determine that. Is that, is that helpful? Did that kind of answer? Okay, well, I'll, <laughs> I'm going to go over to the right here and we'll take one more question. And I come over to you in the pretty pink. Hi, this is Nicole Finch from Sheehan. I do not use a service animal, but I've had uh, recently noticed that when I text the driver to ask them to please announce themselves when they arrive as I'm blind and I have a long white cane, I've had a couple drivers shortly after that cancel my trip. So I don't know if it comes under the same as denial with the service animal or they think I'm lying and I say I have a cane, but yet in reality, I have a service animal. So either one is wrong, but what can we do in that situation as well? Chris, I've been talking a lot. Do you want to Yeah, um, <laughs> Sure. Yeah, th th that also considered um, would be considered a service denial. So you can report it um, to, you know, in the same way that you would report um, a service now due to a service animal. We've definitely heard a lot of stories about, you know, people uh, with walkers or wheelchairs or other assistive um, uh, devices that are being denied. So definitely let us know and report. And those, you know, all, all um, are considered, you know, uh, service nows and are against 
you know, our policy. And so I'm, I'm so sorry to hear, you know, that was your experience, but you can definitely report those drivers and they would be um, held to the same standard that we um, hold all of our drivers up to. And just to say that, I mean, we've been, I meant to kind of separate out, we know there's a range of issues. There's like a range of accessibility issues broadly in the app and the experience. There's a range of issues that blind and low vision folks experience in the app and in the experience. And then there's the issue of service animals, which, um, you know, is both kind of like falls under our assistive device policy and is unique because it's an animal um, that, uh, you know, kind of uh, adds context to the experience and it is no different than any other disability related issue. And so all of them are things that we are uh, working on. And I think that like, it really emphasizes the need for education. So even if you're not a service animal user, you can always um, email us, but certainly submit an investigation or a trip denial complaint. Um, I, we know that itself is time consuming and taxing but it does add to the evidence for the need for uh, driver education on our policy every time. All right, next up in Zoom, we have Janine. Um, so there is a house, like a townhouse, and there's a, a asphalt in between, it's a street. So on one side is apartments and one side is a townhouse. And a lot of times the driver will drive to the other side of the street and they won't announce themselves and I won't know that cars like for me so and and they just go and then it's like okay and then they're like well you can walk across the street and I'm like I don't want to walk on the speed bump but you should are they not supposed to come pick you up in front of your house a and then b um when they see I have a cane they want to grab my cane and help me and touch me to put me in the car and then sometimes getting out they want to be nice and walk me into where I'm going again grabbing my cane and touching me so um how, how do I get them to say no please park in front of my house so I don't have to walk across this parking lot asphalt and then second how do I get them not to touch me and grab my cane thank you so much Thanks for that question. Um, yeah, that's, uh, and, and, and sorry, drivers, you know, um, are, aren't aware of kind of the right, um, uh, what's the word, like uh, etiquette for helping um, folks who are, you know, blind and low vision or cane user service animal um, users. And so, again, that's one of the things that we want to focus in our um, education as we develop it is like how to best prepare drivers um, to let them know, like, you know, um, how much assistance they can provide without invading in your personal space um, while still trying to be um, as helpful as, as they can. So that's one of the areas that we are currently focusing as we developed um, some of the content for, for our, our education. And in terms of the, the pickup location, um, one of the things that we're also working on um, with the ride request team is, um, I'm sure all of you uh, know here, the, the, the map to set your you know, current location isn't always the most accessible. And that's one of the, the places that we're currently um, brainstorming and working to see how we can make that a little bit easier to um, set your pickup location so it's exactly where you need it, need it to be and like which side of the street that um, that needs to be on it. Um, I, th I think in the meantime, I guess my best recommendation would be to message the driver um, and you know give them specific directions to like where you would prefer them to uh, park and wait for you um, while we kind of can continue to kind of think about how we can make that pickup um, experience a little bit uh, uh, more smoother. All right, we will go to Vanessa. Uh, number one, Lyft does the same thing. They park across the street, drives me crazy. 
Also, and, and I wonder if Uber does this, within the Lyft app, if I'm in a vehicle and something is starting to go wrong and I feel uncomfortable, within the app, I can start communicating with Lyft and let them know that there is a problem. Um, another issue that sometimes has to do with denials, and I've heard this from Lyft drivers, Uber drivers may be saying the same thing. Sometimes the drivers have told me, and I have no reason to doubt them, is that one of their biggest issues is that some handlers, um, even if there's room for the dog to go on the floor, let the dog up on the seat. And the driver's like, we then have to get our vehicles detailed, meaning take it somewhere and get it cleaned, which is expensive. Um, number three, once you start ordering your vehicle and you start getting the, the, the time, you know, they're going to arrive in five minutes, three minutes, two minutes, take screenshots screenshot to death and if the driver ultimately keeps on going you know you will have a screenshot history that you can share with uber as to the fact that yeah this driver kept going this driver canceled yada 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 uh i think there was something else i was going to mention i can't remember it so i will mute and um let you make comments Great, thanks for those um, questions. Let me try to get to them kind of in reverse order. Screenshots are great, texts are great, calls are great. Ultimately, we know that you don't wanna to have to do any of those things and it's certainly not a requirement to do them. Anytime you do have evidence of a trip denial, um, it certainly supports our investigation team. It just makes it easier for them to have conclusive evidence. And so we want to be building in options for you to make sure that you don't have to do all of that, to have all of the evidence just in case that something goes wrong. Um, but we do appreciate that many of you do that already. And so to share those kinds of tricks and then to share that evidence with us is helpful. Um, to the second point, service animals are permitted on a driver's seat or on the floor that is made clear in our policy. A driver getting their car detailed is a personal preference. It is not a policy. It doesn't have to do, you know, with allergies or suspected allergies. And so that is not, that is not something we uphold in our policy. Certainly if a, if a pet, it's not, you know, except in, I would imagine the most extreme emergency of your animal would never make a mess in a car, um, but hair or pet dander um, is not something that we would ever charge a service animal owner for. If we did by accident, it would be refunded. Um, and we're just clarifying our policy internally to make sure that Uber accounts for um, any refunds and those aren't deferred to service animal owners um, for something like hair or dander or saliva. And the first point, oh, was about a safety feature. So there is an in-trip um, safety feature, a little safety button that you can push at any point in your ride. You can also, we have had folks just recently have some luck with the service animal trip reporting line that we initiated. And, and again, our agents there are continuing their training and going through this quality assurance process. Um, but some people have been able to access them kind of immediately if something goes wrong. But of course, if something happens during a ride, do press that safety button, um, and uh, you can be contacted by a safety team member right away. One question that I've not heard come up yet, uh, we did have a question about the uh, language preference for training for drivers, but at this year's ACB convention, 
our member body has been considering a resolution that would allow passengers to specify their preferred language and to be connected with drivers that share that preferred language. This has come up because members have raised the concern uh, that they feel unsafe, not being able to communicate effectively with drivers. Um, so I'd, I'd be curious to hear from uh, Brianna and Chris uh, what Uber is doing to create more effective communication from passengers, uh, passengers and drivers so that they can communicate with one another during a trip so that passengers feel safe and they know that they are getting out where uh, they have set as their destination. Thank you. Thanks, Clark. I, maybe Chris can talk about kind of productized options of like what we currently do and then maybe exploring what we might do. This is just a great example of where we'd love to brainstorm with you all more because this is an area that we've explored, but we haven't gotten into a lot of the details of, um, you know, when I hear a problem like that, I think of, yeah, all, all different types of things about where the communication breakdowns happening, right? Like at what points of contact, what is the perception of safety issue? What are the, what are the real issues of safety that come up on the driver side and on the user side? And then we start to explore like, well, then how could we know the rate to which this is happening, where this is happening, the languages like with which, which, with which this is happening. And then how do you make sure that everybody's needs are met. And one of the things that I mentioned earlier in my role is just ensuring non-discrimination for all of our users at the same time, which is so much more complicated than I thought it would be, right? Like you all know in the service animal world, like ensuring that um, a driver who is Muslim and is concerned about proximity to dogs um, because based in their religion, dogs are haram, comes in immediate contradiction to the legal rights and, and the Uber policy um, that we uphold around service animal access. Those are competing interests of like areas of discrimination between two users that happen frequently. Um, it also could happen that a rider who gets to select a language preference of a driver could do so nefariously based on ethnic or racial um, discrimination that they personally held. And so when we're exploring solutions, we really want to think about what's the problem, what are the potential, what are the range of potential solutions, and then how do we get to the most efficient solution or range of solutions that doesn't discriminate against anybody or that reduces discrimination to the greatest degree possible. So that, those are just the first things that come to mind in thinking this through, but I really look forward to talking to you more, talking to the membership more about um, what's really happening so that we can get at the root of solutions. All right. Thanks, folks. Um, as if you have stories you want to tell us or on report denials to us, um, you can talk, talk, contact us at advocacy at acb.org um, and thanks to Brianna Gilmore and Chris Yoon from Uber um, they did great and they'll be here to answer questions